We come now to the proclamation of God's Word, continuing through the Gospel of Matthew as we consider Christ who is our King. And we are still in Matthew 25, now verses 13 through 30, as Jesus is in this uh, portion that is called the Olivet Discourse. And He's been laying out for us what life is like for His people in the time between His advents when He was born, since He has died and has risen and now ascended and His second coming and teaching us what that coming as King to finalize or consummate His kingdom will be like and what is expected of us as His people following Him as His disciples. And so here we are now in Matthew 25 looking at verse 14 through 30 and a parable that is familiar to many of us. Jesus says this, For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted them to his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went and at once and traded with them. And he made five talents more. So also he had... He who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of the servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, who had the two talents, came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, Good and faithful servant, you have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also, who had received the one talent, came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. But the man's master answered him, You wicked and slothful servants, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the, him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given and he who will have an abundance but from the one who has not even when even what he has will be taken away and cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth this is god's word Let us pray. Father, we ask now again that you would open our hearts and minds, that you would reveal to us the truth of your gospel through Christ our Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Success is a goal to which people run after, it seems, their entire life, but never feel they fully achieve it. Uh, We feel like we're successful in some things, but not completely. And everyone wants to be successful at the things they do. If you're a parent, you want to be a successful parent. If you work, you want to be successful in your job or or your career. Uh, We want to be successful in getting fit or or losing weight. Uh, Successful in our financial goals and personal goals. Successful in life in general. And while it is certainly admirable to want to do well in all those areas of our lives, there's a danger in the idea of personal success simply for personal success. And Tim Keller actually states it very well in his book, Counterfeit Gods. He says, more than other idols, personal success and achievement lead to a sense that we ourselves are God, that our security and value rest in our own wisdom and strength and performance. To be the very best at what you do, to be at the very top of the heap, means no one is like you. You are supreme. Indeed, this idol of success is so tempting. We are so easily tempted to to bend the gospel even to our own desire to be somebody special. We want to be the best version of a Christian that we can possibly be, not because we love God with all our heart, heart, soul, and mind, but because we really love ourselves. And Jesus answers that idol of success of personal success in this parable of the talents. And really, it shouldn't be called the parable of the talents at all. We, we know it of that. Our Bibles, if you have a Bible that designates uh, the paragraphs or sections, it'll, it'll call it the parable of the talents. But really, it's the parable of the master. Because it's not so much about the talents, but about the master who rewards and blesses. It starts with the master and it ends with the master. This is a story that isn't so much about what we have been given, but he who gives graciously and freely from his holy kindness and his divine wisdom. You see, what we learn here initially is that God is good and gracious, giving good gifts to people. God is good and gracious and He gives good, He gives great gifts to people. Jesus, as we observe, is still talking on the Mount of Olives in this Olivet Discourse, uh, speaking about His second coming and the nature of this inter-advent or inter-adventual period, the time between His ascension into heaven and His return. And he begins with these words. He says, For it, again speaking of the kingdom of Christ, the kingdom of God, will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted them with his property. Again, we see this this theme of journey and even delay. Uh, Clearly the master in this story represents Jesus, the the second person of the triune God. And, And Jesus, after his resurrection from the grave, is now ascended to the right hand of the Father where bodily he remains, though he is spiritually present with us on earth. 
and he will return. And, and that is the idea of the journey, the sojourn that he is on this time of the inter-advent. And it is a long time as we read in verse 19. The master went away for a long time. But just like the master in the parable comes back to his servants, so Christ Jesus will return bodily to this earth to, to complete or consummate his kingdom. But in the meantime, he gives his servants something to do. So we read in verse 15, to the one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, each according to his ability, and then he went away. Now the talents in this story are a monetary unit. Uh, a talent was also a weight of measurement. It, one talent would, uh, of money would be the value of a particular metal, like gold or silver, weighed out uh, to that particular weight. And so its price or its value in today's currency uh, is difficult to determine exactly. It, it fluctuates depending on what kind of metal you are using uh, for the coin. But it is a great amount of money. It would be equal to roughly what a common laborer of the day could earn in probably about 40, 50 years, about you know half of his lifetime or more. It was an enormous amount of money. To give just one talent was incredibly generous of this master. So the talents in the story are actual money in the story, but what are they supposed to represent? Well, there's been several explanations offered up over the course of church history. Some have said the talents uh, are talents as we think of talents, abilities, giftings, things that we can do, um, skills. Others have interpreted the talents to be faith, others the gospel. Well, Jesus gives us a a few clues here about the talents that I believe reveal to us uh, what he is getting at, speaking of them in this parable. And first, what we see is all were given some, but some were given more. All were given some, but some were given more. Not everyone received the same amount, but all received something. And what they did receive, as we've already noted, was an incredible a gift. It was a, a huge amount of money. The servant that was given one talent had received the highest or largest sum of money he would have ever held in his hands. And so what we see is this is a very generous master. He could have given some of the servants nothing, but he gave all of them something. Secondly, we notice the master gives according to their ability, to the ability of each servant. And that is to say the master is wise. He is discerning. He knows his servants well. He doesn't give the servants more than they can manage, more than they can handle. Nor does He give them too little. He gives them just the right amounts. Imagine if the Master were to give the foolish servant in the story five talents or ten talents, and He just buried them. It wouldn't have gone very well. But He understood the ability of each one and gave to each one accordingly third thing that we notice about the talents, and this is perhaps the most important thing, is that the talents are not the servant's talents. They are the master's. 
He entrusted them with His property. It was never theirs. They didn't earn it. It was simply given to them to manage and to use for the sake of the Master while He was on the journey. In other words, the Master is sovereign. The talents are His to give to whom He pleases in the manner He pleases. And so we put that all together then. And what do we get? Well, we see the Master is sovereign, He is wise, and He is generous. He gives these talents sovereignly in wisdom and generously. And if the Master represents Christ or God, then what does God give to people generously, sovereignly, and in accordance to His wisdom? Well, He gives everything according to that everything that we have. This isn't just one blessing or gift from God. No, it's all that He gives us. He disperses every blessing according to His wisdom, according to His foreknowledge and grace. All blessings, ultimately, He gives as He pleases. And so, the talents is every blessing we enjoy from His hand. They represent the whole of His grace, or we could say His graciousness. And that means every spiritual, every cognitive, every physical blessing, the the whole of God's grace. That would include our talents, our gifts, our abilities. It would also include the gospel. It would also include faith to believe the gospel. As Paul tells us in Ephesians 2.8, by grace you have been saved through faith and that is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God. The talents would also be all of our physical blessings that He gives as well. Our families, our friends, our jobs, our money, our homes, our time, our careers, our cars, our things, the food we eat and taste, the clothes we wear, the cars we drive, the the, the air we breathe. The trees, the grass, the flowers, the rivers, the lakes, the oceans, the mountains that we enjoy, dogs and cats that we we pet, the sun, the rain, the snow, spring, summer, fall, winter, everything from spiritual blessings to material blessings, all of it has been given to us by a very generous, gracious, wise God. He provides for people's needs. He sustains. He supports them. He gives to them throughout life with all of its pleasures and sorrows. We have done nothing to earn any of these blessings, nor do we deserve any of them, especially when we consider that as humans, by nature, we continually abuse His gifts sinfully, and we spurn His grace towards us, and yet He is still a generous God. He makes the rain to fall and the sun to shine, both on the righteous and the wicked. He gives good gifts to people. And all are recipients of some, and some are recipients of more. But He gives good gifts. Which brings us to the second thing we see in this story. Not only is God generous in giving good gifts from His grace, 
But what we learn here is that what we do with God's gracious gifts, all of them, reflects our love and loyalty to Him. What we do with God's gracious gifts reflects our love and loyalty to Him. And so we read in verses 16 through 18, He who received the first five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So he who had the two talents made two talents more, but he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. The point here is to show us what each servant did with the gracious gift they had been given, with the talents they had received, no matter how much it was. The first two servants immediately go to work. They don't delay. They go right away. And they invest and they trade. And both of them, they must have been good traders. They doubled their amount. They had a 100% return for their investment. I'd love to know that financial model they followed. Not bad. Not bad at all. The third servant, though, he goes and he digs a hole and he buries the one talent he had been given. He did nothing with it. He ignored it. And we're meant to see the contrast. You see, the good and the faithful servants, they use the talents not to make themselves great, but to make their master great. Remember, the talents the servants were investing here or trading with, they were not their talents. It was the master's money that they were using. They were increasing the master's property. They were enlarging the master's wealth. They were making much of their master by making his greatness even greater. The good and the faithful servants use the gracious gifts of the Master, we could say, to glorify the Master. And in doing that, they're showing their love, their loyalty towards Him. And so it is with the grace of God towards us. He is a generous, wise, and sovereign King who bestows upon us many blessings. And those blessings, whatever they are, they are to be used in return for His name's sake to make much of our God, our King, to give Him glory, not ourselves. And so these would be the endowments of the mind, our our reasoning and learning and ability to think. They are to be used to serve the glory of our King. It is that enjoyments of the world, our property, things, culture, interests, talents, abilities that He gives us, we use them for His name's sake to, to expand His kingdom. And it is the excellency of the Gospel that we believe. The means in which we are given it being the Bible and the church and the sacraments and and ministers and the fellowship of other believers, all of this is given to us for the improvement of our Master of Christ's kingdom. They're making His name known so that He would be worshipped and loved, glorified in all the earth. That is His inheritance. That is the gospel-driven life. A life of faith in Christ as a disciple of Christ. Everything we have, all that we are, all that we own, every enjoyment as well as every sorrow of life are given to us so that we might glorify God in all the earth and so that we might worship Him 
above all other things. Matthew Henry in the 17th century uh, pastor put it this way. He said, Thus does a true Christian act in the work of religion. We have no stock of our own to trade with, but trade as factors with our master's stock. That's what these good and faithful servants did. They showed their love and loyalty to the master by investing what he had given them. They treasured the Master's gifts because they treasured the Master and thus did what they could to increase and improve His greatness. But what about the servant who was given the one talent? What about the foolish servant? What should he have done? Well, he should have done what the one who was given two and the one that was given five did. He should have taken that one talent and glorified the master. He should have committed himself in faith and love and loyalty to the master, but he did not. He didn't have the love and loyalty for the master as the first two servants did in the story. Instead, he buries the talent in the ground. He ignores it. Now, when you read that, you might think at first, well, that seems kind of prudent. He's saving it. He, he doesn't want to take the risk of trading it. He's hiding it. He just wants to preserve it, right? Well, no, he's actually trying to preserve himself. You see, it's very selfish. He's more interested in what uh, he is doing and what his goodness will be. And so he tries to take charge of his own life and over the master's gifts, even though it's not his gift. The reason he buried the talent was because he was more concerned with himself than the glory of his master. And we learn this in the excuse he gives to the master upon the master's return in verses 24 and 25. He also had received the one talent, came forward saying, Master, I know you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you did not scatter. So I was afraid and I went and I hid your talent on the ground. Here, you have what is yours. It's what we see here. He's, He's not confiding in a gracious master who gives good gifts. But he has a wrong view of the master in his mind and and that leads him to do the wrong thing. He saw the master as harsh and cruel, taking what is not his. He didn't see him as loving and gracious and good and kind. So better to be successful at doing nothing rather than to fail at doing something was the thought of this man, this servant. And he spurns the master's grace, the master's gift, because he spurns the master. He hides the talent. He squanders it. He did not use it for the good glory of the master because he was more concerned about saving his own skin by avoiding the master's wrath. And the Master confirms that for us when He replies to this foolish servant. He says to him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew what I reap where I have not sown and gather what I scatter no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming I would have received what was my own with interest. And this is sarcasm. 
The master isn't confirming what the servant had said. He's not saying, yeah, I'm definitely cruel and I take what is not mine. In fact, he's done the exact opposite. He has given what is his to others generously. What he's saying here is, well, just suppose I was a cruel and uncaring master. Shouldn't you have actually then invested the money to avoid my wrath? You didn't even act wisely with what I gave you. He wasn't cruel and harsh. He was actually generous and good and loving. He gave that servant a whole talent, more than he could ever hope to earn. More than he deserved. And the servant went and hid it, ignored it, used it for his own sake. And so many people in this world are like that servant. It is so easy to fall into the trap of thinking like the foolish servants. And we see God as this hard taskmaster requiring too much of us, as, as being demanding and unreasonable, cruel and harsh. But it's such a wrong view of God. What do people do when they take that view though? Well, they they hide away His gifts. They don't acknowledge that they are His gifts, that He is good and gracious and merciful and, and return them for His glory. Instead, they ignore His mercy and grace. They review, refuse to hear His caring voice calling out to them and they reject the revelation of Himself to them in His creation and in His Word. And when we do that, when we create this false notion of God not seeing Him for who He truly is, it is then that we worship not our God, but our own self-interest, our own success. You see, what this parable comes down to isn't so much what the talents were, but what the servants did with the talents they were given. They either served the Master or they didn't. We can worship God through faith in the Gospel, or we can worship ourselves. But we cannot do both. That is what the Gospel of Jesus Christ is all about. It's about worshiping the One who is our Creator, our Master, our Lord. Faith in the Gospel isn't mere mental assent to historical facts and truth. It does include that, but it is more than that. Faith is giving my whole life, laying it down before the One who gave His life for me. And if we do that, we will seek to turn those gracious gifts He gives us, all of them, back to Him for His glory. And of course, we don't do that perfectly. We understand that. We stumble, we fail. But even in our stumbling and our failure, we are still successful in doing what God has called us to do and gifted us to do because ultimately it is His grace that carries us through to the end when the Master returns, when Christ returns, and we hear His voice rewarding our faithfulness, our faith in Him. And it is so essential for us to do that. Not just in the present, but for all eternity. Because the final thing we see here is 
where our love and loyalty lies does have eternal consequences. It results in either reward or judgment. To the wicked and foolish servant, the master says to him, Take away the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And again, we hear that hard language of God's holy justice. But notice this, the grace that the servant had been given, the one talent, that little gift that he was given, what happened? It was completely taken from him. So he had no gracious gift. And we can play with God's good and gracious gifts in this life while ignoring him for a time. But eventually there will be a reckoning and accounting. And if we but bury them in the sand... And the Master returns. We will hear that holy justice echoing from His voice. And we will experience the loss of any gracious gift He has given. One can enjoy the good, the the common benefits and blessings God extends to all, but if they refuse to acknowledge Him, He will use any excuse they try to bring for their foolishness. And those who treat God as if He is worthless, because when we treat His gifts as worthless, we are treating Him as if He is worthless. They are then condemned as being the worthless servants. And they suffer His holy justice. But what about the faithful servants? What about those who did love the Master. What was the result of their faithful loyalty to their Lord? Notice they both received the exact same reward. His Master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little, and I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your Master. The one servant who was faithful with the five talents and the one who was faithful with the two talents, they hear those exact same words, the exact same reward. You see, again, it it doesn't matter how much of God's gracious benefits you have received, but it matters what you have done. Have you returned them to Him in faith? Have you sought the glory of His name rather than the glory of your own? And the result is, when we do that, when we seek to glorify God in faith through the Gospel, is the same for all of us. Notice the first reward is the reward of the approval of the King. He says, well done. Well done. Good job, good and faithful servant. This is the smile of Christ upon His people. It is the approval of God resting upon those who did glorify Him rather than seek their own glory. They did glorify Him by trusting Jesus the Son alone and giving themselves to Him in faith and repentance. The second reward 
is more of the Master's goodness and grace, more of His blessing. He says, you have been faithful over a little, so I will set you over much. And it's so interesting that he says a little in the story. Remember, a talent is an enormous amount of money. It is very generous. But the great blessings we enjoy now cannot be compared to the infinite and greater blessings that are ours in the future when the Lord returns. Peter explains that according to the mercy of the Father, believers are born again to an inheritance. This is First Peter 1.4 that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. The third reward is perhaps the sweetest of all. It is the joy of the Master. The Lord says to His servants, enter into the joy of your master. Now notice he doesn't say enter into the joy of your master's house, your master's heaven, your master's kingdom. He says enter into the joy of your master. You see Jesus will do whatever he needs to ensure that you will enter his kingdom because it is his joy for him to do so. We read in Hebrews 12 that Christ Jesus endured the cross, despising its shame, which was your shame and mine, with joy. Why? So that He might be the author and perfecter of our faith. He delights to save you. He purchased you with His own joy so that you may participate in it with Him. It is the joy of the redeemed purchased and paid for by the sorrow of the Redeemer. And such is the reward for the faithful. The approval of the King, grace upon grace, and the very joys of Christ Himself forevermore. I mean, personal achievement and success are worthless idols indeed when you compare them to that. They could never give us the joy and the value and the sense of reward that Christ gives. In fact, those idols of personal achievement and success the demand that we sacrifice God's gifts and squander them away, burying them in fallow ground of our hardness of our hearts, spurning His love and mercy in order to worship our own self-interest cannot ever match the glories that are ours that come from our gracious Master. The God of success is a cruel Master. He is the harsh one, sowing where He should not sow. But the God of gracious love and mercy sows His grace in our hearts. He does not rob us of joy, but He pours it out in abundance, His own joy. And so when we submit ourselves to Christ in faith, turning all that He has given us graciously back to Him in praise for the glory of His name, we will hear those words, Well done, Well done, good and faithful servants. You've been faithful over a little. 
I will put you over much. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we do thank you and praise you for this great and exceeding gift of the gospel of Christ. We thank you for the great gifts that you bless us with even in this life. All of them. And so, Father, we ask now that you would help us not to ignore your merciful hand and your many benefits and the bounty you pour out upon us day after day, but that we would fall before you in worship, that we would seek to make much of your name and to expand your kingdom, for truly you are a great and merciful God. Father, help us to pursue this through faith, by grace, through the power of your Spirit alone, so that we will stand before our Lord and hear those sweet words, well done, good and faithful servants. Father, I pray this will be true for all of your people. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.